0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Herrena Osband here with my friend, Chavruta, and Gordon. Our daft today, Masachet Ketubot, daft, Kafbat pete, 22. Well, before we get to the new Mishnah, we have this interesting discussion about a Beitin chatzuf. Um, and I want to read this passage because it's essentially the idea of a Beitin that convenes not in the way that a Beitin is supposed to convene, but we still uphold its judgment. I'm a rabbi Zayra. So Rabbi Zera says, I heard this. I learned this from Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba I would have forgotten it. So, in other words, this was an important halacha he learned from this Rabbi Abba. Otherwise, he would have forgotten it. So let's say you have this Beijing of three, whose job it was to. Sort of authenticate a document, and one of them died before signing that authentication, right? Which we've talked about uh, yesterday uh, at great length. Right? So then, what you have to write is we convened, we gathered together three judges, and one of the judges is no longer. In other words, you need to make it clear the reason why only two judges signed is because the third judge actually died. Now here it makes it seem that it might be hard to find a third judge or maybe they were so far into the work they didn't want to find a third judge. But I just thought of it in contrast to that Mishnah that got brought up from Rosh Hashanah yesterday, which talked about that if you had three people who were trying to be Makadish the new moon, there you sort of got the impression. It's like, oh, you just bring along two extra people. Lo and behold, you have an instant faith Here it makes it sound like this is a harder process to do. Amr ibn Naqhmbar yaskhat sawna Naqhmbar yaskhat said bi katibay and if the judges basically wrote staradinan nifaq lakadmak baydina to lodsar this document was put in front of us the court right they don't they no longer need to add that there were three judges in other words because just by using the term uh baydin or just by saying uh you know staran dinan right nifaq lakadmana like that it was put in front of us, the implication is, is of course, it had to be three judges. You don't have to specify three judges because a beitin is always going to be three judges. But then the Gemara goes on to say, but dilma chatzufu. Maybe, though, it was a beitin chatzuf. Now, the question is sort of, what is the translation of the word chatzuf? And I always turn to you for translations. I don't know exactly how you would want to to translate this.
1: I mean, I think we like to say chutzpah, right? Like chutzpah is now already an English word, so to speak. Um, I've seen the translation being impudent. I may have seen arrogant, right? Like there's something, um, it's not quite right. You know, that's the issue here. Right,
0: it's not the way it's supposed to be. And you thought it was okay for you to do it your own way. So that's like the arrogance or impudent part of it. And so this is like what Shmuel talks about. So if two get together and give out a verdict, give out a deen, right? Uh, it's a dean. It, it's it's held up., but it's called beitin chatzuf. So I think this is interesting. You still can have a judgment, can have a ruling with two, but it's a Beiin right? And so uh, the Gamar says going back to this original question where you know, it just says a beitin, right? you know uh, uh, you know, how could you know that it was clear on the star that it was three judges who rat, you know who, ratified the document de ashi right because what it says is it's written uh the court of our teacher Rav ashi so the assumption is, is that if it says that if it says something like that then we assume that you know they they followed regular rabbinic tradition and it was a betein of 3 the dilma debate wait but maybe this the rabbis of 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 the court of Ravashi. they i think they're giving it as more of like an example. In other words, you had to identify who the Dean was. And so the Gemara is saying, like, wait, but maybe the particular beitin you identified actually held like Shmuel and sometimes gave out rulings only with two judges. So the lana ashi. So Gemara says, right, our, our meaning, Ravashimim, our teacher who taught us how to actually do this with the document. I don't necessarily think it's a great answer. Maybe it is specific to the beitin of Ravashi itself. This whole concept of a beitin chatsuv, uh, I think is one of these things we will see again in the Gemara. Uh, but, you know, the, the Gemara recognizing that sometimes you won't always have three or that a verdict will give out be given out without having three and that that can happen uh, is a possibility that not only they entertain, but they acknowledge it's still okay. Not, not, not endorsed, but okay.
1: I think it's really interesting that we're getting all this information about the court. Again, you know, newsflash, Ketubot, not just a Ketubot topic, um, you know, as compared to, let's say, holding it for Sanhedrin or something like that, you know.
0: Right, exactly. All right. I think we're ready for the new Mishnah.
1: Okay. We're ready for the new Mishnah, and it's a Ketubot Mishnah. If a woman says, I was married and now I am divorced, then... It. She's considered believed, credible. Because, and this is the same principle that we've seen several times thus far, although perhaps not so explicitly in a Mishnah, which is namely that the mouth that prohibits is the mouth that permits. Meaning, the moment she says that she was married, which means she's acknowledging that there was a time where she would have been prohibited, meaning she's limited just to her husband, and now she's saying, but you know, she's divorced and therefore free to marry anybody. Um, the same way that she could have just said, oh, I was never married, right? And that would have enabled her to simply be out there without this uh, limitation that she's placed on herself, right, in, in that she was married. So now, she's here. now it's going to let her go free. She's believed that, in fact, she is divorced um, and, and that should be sufficient. Now, in modern times, I'm not so sure that her just saying it would be sufficient, but at least in concept, we understand why the very fact that she could like loop herself into a uh, a more limited place and then say, "But now I'm done, why that would be um why the logic of that holds the he what if there were witnesses that knew that said it that testified to the fact that she was married and but lo and behold, she now says she's divorced ain't on that minute meaning now she says that she is divorced, then she's not credible. Meaning the assumption here is I think that the witnesses speak to the fact that she had been married, not that she says it about herself. And she's a beau, but now I'm divorced. We can understand why on the one hand, that really might be true. But on the other hand, it's kind of, it's a little bit suspect or it has the potential to be suspect because if she were still married and she wanted to not be known as being married, she might well say that she's divorced, even if she's not. I'm If she says, I was taken captive, but I am pure, pure meaning, she was not sullied by the rape or whatever of of, um, the captors, right? So then she's going to be believed because, again, she acknowledges that she was taken captive. So the very fact that she acknowledges that she was taken captive, which opens up the possibility that she could have been raped and so on, now, when she says, "But I wasn't, we believe that she wasn't because again, who Beta. if we see that there are witnesses in fact that she had been taken captive, the torani. but she says afterwards, yes, I was taken captive, but if she says if she says in the week of those witnesses, I want to be careful here in the language um that she and she says no, but i I came through unscathed a minute she's not believed because there was no peshasar. it was the witnesses who asar, right? That that said that she had been taken captive. But if, in fact, she's been taken captive and she says and she's not credible, but those witnesses that say that she had been taken captive only came after she got married anyway, right? I mean she marries, right, presumably she's getting married under circumstances that the very fact that she was taken captive if she were, if she had been raped, would not be permitted in those circumstances, because the witnesses only came afterwards, she still does not need to leave her husband. She does not need a divorce. She do, There's no annulment of this marriage, um, even if the witnesses might be believed, not to the degree that the marriage needs undoing after it's already in place. Now, Dana, you're going to take us through the bit in the Gemara that immediately follows this Mishnah, which is really about the sourcing of this, of this phrase, of this concept, and where we find it in the Torah.
0: Yeah, so I thought this was interesting, how the Gemara frames it. How do we know that this concept, right, that the mouth that it prohibits is per- permits? And that it's actually from the Torah. And so they quote your pasuk from Devarim, chapter 22, verse 16. Right? So that if a father says that he married off his daughter by saying, "ish," right, without specifying who the man is, he's he her, the daughter, forbidden to other men, because she says she's married to, uh, to this man. So therefore, meaning she's not allowed to other, uh, to other uh, men. That's Hazza, and that's the identification of the person who she's married to. She's permitted to her husband. So that is an example of somebody who forbids and permits in the same statement. But then the Gemara wants to say, Lama Kra. why do I need a Svaragi? This is based on logic, right? Who Asra, but Shari La? He rendered her forbidden. He also makes her permitted. eats Why do we need this pasuk, right? And so, uh, so we needed to derive the following halacha that Rav said in the name of Rav. To Amarav, Huna Amarav. Rav Huna said in the name of Rav, How do we know that a father is basically, we believe him, that he can make his daughter forbidden, right? Right. Right, because he says, you know, I gave my daughter to this, uh, to this man. Right, to this, to to the man. Laish, Hazel lamali. So the Gemara wants to know why does he need the word haze? Why does it say have to say laish raviona. That's necessary because of this halacha that Raviona taught. Right, the Tani ravi- Raviona, the Raviona taught. Epitina tate laish hazeh below liaban. Right, hazeh means. Uh, that it, it's in the context of sort of a, a husband who is saying something bad about his wife. So the has basically says that it applies to the husband who is slandering his wife and not to a yavam. when this could have been a case of Yiba. Of, of so I, I'm not sure the Gemara totally justifies it. Well, it's interesting how they do it. They need to bring in like multiple teachings to sort of try to justify the pasuk itself. And I still don't think it's completely, uh, I, I think the first approach of the Gemara, well, the second approach, where it says it's just as far as it's logical, seems to make more sense. So they're trying to sort of balance in a way like, we have this tradition with a Pasuk, but we also understand that this could just be logical. Um, and I, I, you know, it, it's an interesting pattern.
1: I think the verses are actually pretty difficult if you wanted to derive this point from them. Meaning, once you have the point, I see how you line them up, right? That works. But if I didn't already have this rationale, this logic, then I don't think that the verse really lends itself to this kind of interpretation. Don't tell the Gemara that I said this, right? Meaning, this is just my my intuitive sense. Such for what it's worth, which may not be much. Okay, I want to just briefly touch on the Gemara that comes after that um which is talking again about this woman who says where she says that she was married. And now she says, I'm not married. Now, the the Gemara here brings this Breitah that says, wait, the Mishnah said, I was married, I'm now divorced. The Breitah says, I am married, and then it says I'm not married. I'm single. A minute. So it still says, you know, that she's deemed credible. And here we have another whamdinger of a concept appearing in Ketubot and also throughout Shas. Namely, again, I'm going to read it again. Didn't she establish herself to be like a piece of prohibition? Which is not perhaps the most elegant phrasing in English, anyway. But it, what it means is, like, when she says that she was an Aishat Ish, when she labels herself Aishat Ish, isn't she then establishing herself as, uh, forbidden? Right, a person, an entity, a body who is forbidden, meaning to all men except for her husband. So then, how can she just come along and say, "Oh, but I'm Panuya. I'm I'm free. I'm available." How can she just again? let herself go free based on her own statement like that. Meaning the process of I was married and now I'm divorced, or I suppose even I was married and now I'm a widow. And I'm not saying these either of these statements about myself, right? I'm saying that this is like, if that's the vocabulary that's chosen, then we can understand. But the fact that this woman, meaning the brighter woman, came forward and said, I am married, right? And then what she's done in that statement is render herself prohibited To almost everybody, just not the husband. And then she comes forward and says, "Oh, but really, I'm not. Really, I'm free. Really, I'm available." Then you know. Then the question is, how exactly she can, how exactly the vocabulary in one sentence can cancel out the other sentence if she's believed to be the first one to be prohibited. So, and here we have another concept that's important in halacha, right? Rav, Rav Huna says, it's like she provided an amatla for the original statement. What's the original statement? That she was married, right? Amatla is here like the rationale. We came across the phrasing of amatla, I want to say an ervin, but I'm not reliable on these things, meaning some good long time ago. Dana, do you remember where?
0: I do not remember.
1: And if you don't remember, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the point is, the point is though that the the idea of having an amatla, meaning like if she says, I'm free, I'm available, and here's why, right? I'm available because really I'm a widow. I'm available because he, he the guy died before they ever consummated the wedding. Right, there's all kinds of ways that she could legitimately be Pnuya at this point, right? So once she provides that kind of rationale then she, or or the reverse, right? She can explain why she said she was a married woman. Maybe she was being snide and sarcastic about the fact that she wasn't a married woman, right? Like there's many different ways to rationalize anybody's words once you have more information. So to hear, So, to hear, so the guy says, well, let's understand then that what we're really, that what this case really becomes then is I, if a woman comes and says she's a married woman and then straight afterwards she says, oh, I'm not married, that by itself would not leave her to be believed that she that she's actually available, right? She would retain the prohibited status of being, ma- of being married that she's not available to marry every other man, right? But if she can provide a ra- the rationale, the amatla for her words as to why she said the one and then the other, then she would indeed be credible. Meaning if the rationale is good, then it's good.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, this this takes me back to you, Vamos the (laughs) staff. But I I think the whole idea is, you know, this idea of having a rationale. And I love the story that's on this top about, you know, this beautiful woman who basically says, like, this was the only way she could fend people up and the khakamim accept it. So I think it's the idea of the rationale is understanding that like people are human and they may have ways to present to present information that may end up not being true for a variety of reasons now makes sense we will accept it we won't call them a liar we'll understand it it's it's a very empathic approach yeah i
1: mean i feel like most women i know have at one point or another presented themselves as oh yeah i've got a boyfriend or oh yeah i'm married or whatever to To protect themselves from unwanted attentions, right? Like right,
0: that's, that's reason. We all reasonable. know
1: that's reasonable. Even Khazal.
0: right? Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reveni, Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stop on our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>